lovely to be here. And uh, we are studying uh, Exodus chapter 32 this evening. Um, so we're just going to read, read the whole chapter. And I also want to read uh, one or two verses from Psalm 106. So Exodus chapter 32. When the people saw that Moses delayed to come down from the mountain, the people gathered themselves together to Aaron and said to him, up, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So Aaron said to them, take off the rings of gold that are in the ears of your wives, your sons and your daughters and bring them to me. So all the people took off the rings of gold that were in their ears and brought them to Aaron. And he received the gold from their hand and fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf. And they said, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. And they rose up early the next day and offered burnt offerings and brought peace offerings. And the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. And the Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. They have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. They have made for themselves a golden calf and have worshipped it and sacrificed to it and said, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. And the Lord said to Moses, I have seen this people and behold, it is a stiff necked people. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. But Moses implored the Lord his God and said, O Lord, why does your wrath burn hot against your people, whom you have brought out of the land of Egypt with great power and with a mighty hand? Why should the Egyptians say with evil intent did he bring them out to kill them in the mountains and to consume them from the face of the earth? Turn from your burning anger and relent from this disaster against your people. Remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, your servants, to whom you swore by your own self and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven and all this land that I have promised I will give to your offspring and they shall inherit it forever. And the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back, they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat, but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf 
that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? And Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people that they are set on evil. For they said to me, make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, thus says the Lord God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and from gate to gate throughout the camp. And each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angels shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. Then the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. And then just a few verses in Psalm 106. <clears throat> Psalm 106, uh, verse 19. They made a calf in Horeb, and worshipped a metal image. They exchanged the glory of God for the image of an ox that eats grass. They forgot God, their savior, who had done great things in Egypt, wondrous works in the land of Ham and awesome deeds by the Red Sea. Therefore he said he would destroy them. Had not Moses, his chosen one, stood in the breach before him to turn away his wrath from destroying them. Amen. May God bless his word. Let's just uh, pray. Father, we just come before you. We thank you for your word, your living word. We just pray for your help. We pray that your spirit would be at work in each heart. And we pray that your word might bring glory to your name tonight. We ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, Exodus 32 is a story about sin. And uh, Psalm 106 gives us uh, an insight, a profound insight, into what lay at the heart of Israel's sin. 
Uh, we read in Psalm 106 that they forgot God, their Savior. They forgot God, their Savior, who had done great things. They forgot God. And that's the heading that I've put um, over this study tonight. When people forget God. Uh, in the New Testament, Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 10, now these things, and he's referring to Exodus 32, he says, these things took place as examples for us, uh, that we might not desire evil as they did. Uh, do not be idolaters as some of them were. So if you're wondering what the relevance of studying Exodus 32 is for us tonight. Well, uh, Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 10, it is a stark warning to us um, about how quickly God's people can forget him and how deep we can find ourselves in sin when we do forget God. It is a warning to us not to follow Israel's sin and sin as they did. Now, um, we're going to study the chapter. I, I think the chapter splits into four headings, um, the outlines up on the slide. So in verses 1 to 6, we're going to think about the forgetfulness of sin. Then verses 7 to 14, it is the intercession of Moses. Moses intercedes. He prays with God on behalf of the people. I don't know if you noticed in Psalm 106, um, the psalmist gives us a vivid picture of what uh, this intercession looked like. He said that Moses stood in the breach uh, before God to turn his wrath from destroying them. He stood in the breach. Uh, verses 15 to 22, uh, we're going to think about the importance of strong leadership when dealing with sin um, amongst God's people. And then finally, verses 25 to the end, we're going to think about the call to return to the Lord, who is on the Lord's side. So let's think about um, the first section, the forgetfulness of sin, verses 1 to 6. Uh, verse 1 reminds us that um, Moses was up the mountain meeting with God when these events took place. That happened back in, in chapter 24. Um, when you read Exodus 24, some amazing things happened in that chapter. Um, the people entered into a covenant uh, commitment with God. This is what the people said in Exodus 24. All that the Lord has spoken, we will do. We will be obedient. And you may remember Moses took blood and he sprinkled the people with the blood of the covenant. The covenant was sealed with blood. In Exodus 24, we read that Moses, Aaron, and 70 of the elders went up the mountain and they saw God. They saw God. Aaron saw God. They beheld God and ate and drank. And then uh, Moses is summoned back up the mountain by God and he is given the tablets of stone, he is given the law, he is given the instructions um, for the building and furnishing of the tabernacle. Moses was up on that mountain 40 days and 40 nights and it was during that period that these events took place. 
Now, it's frightening how quickly the people forgot God. And even God comments to Moses in verse 8, they have turned aside quickly out of the way that I commanded them. Now, what did their sin look like? Uh, verses 1 to 6. Um, what lessons can we learn? What did their sin look like? Well, the first lesson is this, that sin, their sin, and sin in general disobeys God's word. The blood of the covenant was barely dry, and the Ten Commandments are in tatters. At least four of the Ten Commandments are broken here. Now, it's interesting, when you go back to Exodus 20, um, this is how God introduced um, the giving of the Ten Commandments. He said to Moses, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Now compare that to what we read here in, in the episode of the golden calf, verse 4. They make the golden calf and they say, These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. There is a complete denial of God, a complete denial of the, the deliverance of God. The first commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. Verse 1, up, make us gods who shall go before us. The first commandment is broken. The second commandment, you shall not make for yourself a carved image. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. Verse 4, um, he received the gold, fashioned it with a graving tool and made a golden calf, which we read um, in, I think it's verse 8, that they worshipped. The second commandment is broken. The third commandment, you shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. These are your gods, O Israel, who brought you up out of the land of Egypt. They put the name of Yahweh on the golden calf. The third commandment is broken. And it would seem the seventh commandment was also broken. You shall not commit adultery. Look at the end of verse 6. The people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. That, that phrase, rose up to play, implies sexual sin. Paul confirms this in, in 1 Corinthians 10. Let's just read that. 1 Corinthians 10. Um, Paul quotes in verse 7 that very phrase, the people sat down to eat and drink and rose up to play. Look at verse 8. We must not indulge in sexual immorality as some of them did. So the worship of the golden calf, here is a full-blown pagan festival um, uh, idolatry, singing, feasting, and sexual sin. So sin at its root disobeys God's word. And seldom does one sin stop there. Sin leads to a multiplicity of sins, which was certainly the case here. Now the second lesson about their sin, um, their sin rejected the character of God, and it rejected the leadership of God. Uh, remember Psalm 106, we read these words, they exchanged the glory of God 
what did they exchange it for? For an image of an ox that eats grass. How ridiculous an exchange. Uh, and the significance of what they did, it was a complete rejection of the character of God. It was a repudiation of, of, of who God is as God. I don't like the kind of God that God is. I don't want this God in my life. I don't like the boundaries that God sets for my life. I don't like the kind of God that God is. I want a God that I can see and touch. This God is invisible. I can't see him. I don't like where this God leads me. Make us gods who will go before us, who will lead us in a different direction. Um, they wanted a bull, a calf, as their God. R.C. Sproul uh, comments uh, as follows. He says, the bull gave no law and required no obedience. It was deaf, dumb, and impotent, and it couldn't dampen their fun. This was a religion designed by man, practiced by man, and useless for man. That pretty much uh, sums it up. How soon they forgot God. And when you forget God, you forget his word. And when you forget his word, you forget his character, and you forget his leadership of your life. The third lesson, their sin produced a counterfeit worship. Now, this is a bit more subtle, but look at verse 5. When Aaron saw this, he built an altar before it, the golden calf. And Aaron made a proclamation and said, Tomorrow shall be a feast to the Lord. A feast to the Lord, a feast to Yahweh. They thought they were worshiping God. Psalm 96 verse 9, we read, worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. How, how far removed from the splendor of God's holiness could their worship be? And this is what becomes of worship that is not rooted in God's character and is produced by people who have forgotten God. The fourth lesson is this, their sin exposed their true heart. Now, uh, Stephen, uh, you remember in Acts chapter 7, um, when he's before the leaders, uh, the, the scribes and the Pharisees, he said this. He said, our fathers refused to obey him. That's Moses. And they thrust him aside. And in their hearts, they turned to Egypt. In their hearts, they turned to Egypt, saying to Aaron, make for us gods. In their hearts, sin exposes uh, your true heart. Um, where do you think the notion came from for the image of a bull, a golden calf? It probably came from Egypt. Um, Apis was an ancient Egyptian deity in the form of a bull. Uh, the bull was a symbol of power, virility. It was used as a representation of, of Pharaoh, and they had Egypt in their hearts. Egypt in their hearts. 
Now, when you forget God, you forget his word, you forget his character, and you begin to be shaped by the culture, by the society around you. Um, you begin to think like the world. You begin to live like the world. God's truth is countercultural. And when the church is shaped more by the culture than by the word of God, then it's a disaster. It is dangerous ground. This is exactly what Paul warns against in, in Romans chapter 12. Do not be conformed to this world. Uh, don't let the world push you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Sin exposed their true heart. Now, the fifth and final lesson in this first section is this, that sin forgets the goodness and blessings of God. Now, with their hearts hankering after Egypt, they forgot the blessings, they forgot the goodness of God. Now, we didn't read uh, the first half of Psalm 106, but um, the, the, the first half of the psalm recounts the blessings of God to Israel. His, his mighty power in redeeming them, uh, bringing them through the Red Sea, uh, redeeming them from the power of, of the enemy. They believed his words, they sang his praise. And then in verse 13, we read, but they soon forgot his works. They soon forgot his works. They forgot his blessings. Here's the irony of it, that even the very gold that they used to make the golden calf, even that very gold had been given to them by God when they left Egypt. How quick we are to forget God's goodness and blessings. Even the material blessings that we have in life are by the grace of God and to be used for the glory of God. Let's not forget his goodness. His goodness in delivering us from death and hell and even the gold of the everyday blessings that we enjoy from God's hand. Can you see the, the, the danger of forgetting God? The forgetfulness of sin, how far removed from God we can become so quickly when we forget him. Maybe you're sitting, sitting in your seat and thinking, I, I would never forget God. Well, I would say that probably each one of us in some measure, by the time Sunday closes and Monday begins, we will forget God in some shape or form. The forgetfulness of sin. Now, is this the end of God's people? Well, well let's move on to the next section, um, verses 7 to, to 14. And we're going to think about the intercession of Moses, the intercession of Moses. Now, the first point uh, to make here, and it seems a bit counterintuitive, but the first point is this, that intercession is God's initiative. Now, even although Moses intercedes, it is God's initiative that drives it. Uh, let's, let's take a little look at this um, 
in the chapter. In, in verse 7, we read this. The Lord said to Moses, go down for your people whom you brought up out of the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. It is God who tells Moses to go down. It is God who tells Moses about the people's sin. And notice how he describes the people to Moses. He says, your people, Moses, your people, not my people. There is a breach in the relationship. It needs someone to stand in the breach. It needs someone to intercede between the people and God. Um, they're your people. You know, it's like when one of, the, one of your children misbehaves and, or, or they do something bad and your wife will say, well, he's your son or he's your, she's your daughter. Probably more likely the son than the daughter. But that description, your people, that would not be lost on Moses. And it was true, the people had rejected God. They had exchanged his glory for a lie. They were worshiping a golden calf. They do not want me as their God, Moses. They are your people. Look at verse 9. Uh, God says to Moses, I have seen this people. It is a stiff-necked people. Have you ever had a stiff neck? I, I sometimes suffer from a, a stiff neck, depending on you know, the way you've been sleeping, the position of your head. And when you get a stiff neck, it's, it's hard to turn. Um, it's hard to look in any other direction. And, and that's the point here. That the people are set on a particular course of life. Now, what does God say to Moses in verse 10? Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them and I may consume them in order that I may make a great nation of you. God is saying that he is prepared to wipe them out in judgment and start over again with Moses. God is telling Moses what he is prepared to, prepared to do. Go down and see what's happened, Moses. Um, this has been described as God's rhetorical invitation to Moses to intercede. Uh, you know, when you ask a rhetorical question, you're not asking it for an answer. And um, God is inviting Moses to intercede. He is driving Moses to intercede. Now, uh, verse, verse 11 to 14, Moses responds to God's initiative. He intercedes with God. He is praying to God on behalf of the people. That is what intercession uh, really means. And there are some important lessons that we learn here about intercessory prayer. First thing is this in, in verse 11. Uh, there is an intensity to the prayer of intercession. Look at verse 11. But Moses implored the Lord his God. Moses implored the Lord his God. Uh, when you come over to Deuteronomy chapter 9, verse 17, we read there that Moses lay prostrate before the Lord for 40 days, 40 nights. He neither ate or drank. He is greatly burdened, greatly burdened. So that links us to the second lesson about intercession, that the intensity of the intercession 
is driven by the enormity of their sin. Um, Three times over, I think we read in chapter 32 that they had sinned a great sin. Look at verse 30. The next day, Moses said to the people, you have sinned a great sin. God says in verse 8, they have corrupted themselves. The intensity of the intercession is linked to the enormity of their sin. The third lesson, uh, before we can intercede, we must love the people that we are interceding for. Um, We read in Psalm 106, Moses was prepared to stand in the breach. At the end of the chapter in verse 32, he was prepared to give his life for this people. Moses loved the people of God, even although they must have been pretty hard to love. And people don't change. There will be people in this church that you find hard to love. But we need to love each other. And before we can intercede for someone, we need to love them. Now, the fourth lesson uh, about intercession, Moses interceded because he believed prayer could change things, but not God. Um, He wasn't praying to change God, but to change things. Moses wasn't changing God's mind. We read in verse 14, and the Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. This was after Moses had interceded. Um, God operates by principles. And um, there is provision in those principles for God to respond in mercy to the prayers of his people. Now, the margin in your Bible may, at verse 14, it may refer you to Jeremiah chapter 18. And this is quite a good example. Jeremiah chapter 18, verse 7. We read this. Um, If at any time, God is speaking, if at any time I declare concerning a nation or a kingdom that I will pluck up and break down and destroy it. Now listen to this in verse 8. God says, and if that nation concerning which I have spoken turns from its evil, I will relent of the disaster that I intended to do to it. Now, that's what's happening in in Exodus 32. Um, God is declaring his intention to consume Israel, but he responds to the intercession of Moses for the people, and he relents of that intention. The Lord relented from the disaster that he had spoken of bringing on his people. Then the the fifth lesson about um, intercession is, is, is this, that Moses' intercession is based on the character of God, who he is, and his covenant promise, what he has done. It is based on who he is and what he has done. Look at verse 11. Moses pleads with God. He says, these are your people. You brought them out of Egypt Uh, Their very identity is wrapped up in their relationship with you, Lord. They are yours. They are your people. Now look at verse 13. 
Moses says, remember Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, to whom you swore by your own self, and said to them, I will multiply your offspring as the stars of heaven. Remember your promise, Lord. Remember your covenant promise to your people. And Moses is not interceding on the basis of any merit of the people, because they had none. But he's interceding on the basis of the character of God, who God is, and on his promise, what he has done. And he is not asking God to do something that he does not want to do. He is a God who is rich in mercy, and that is where Moses' intercession leads to the mercy of God. Who do you intercede for? Who has God placed upon your heart? Praise God for those who intercede and who have interceded for us. And in Romans 8, we read about the Holy Spirit who helps us in our weakness and intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. The, the intercession of Moses, he was prepared to stand in the breach. Amazing. Now, the, the third, third section, um, verses 15 to 24, the importance of strong leadership. Strong leadership is absolutely vital when sin has to be dealt with. At verse 15, Moses acts. He goes down the mountain. He turned and went down from the mountain. But the important thing um, is this, that before he acted, he prayed. He interceded with God. He prayed before he acted. Leaders need to pray before acting. Simple, but so important. So, so important. Moses comes down from the mountain. He is carrying the two tablets of the testimony in his hands. He, he descends with Joshua, his assistant, and they approach the camp. And as they approach the camp in verse 18, they can hear the sound of singing. And then um, Moses comes near the camp in verse 19. And we read this, as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, a full-blown pagan festival is underway. And, and here's the, the second point about strong leadership. Um, Moses must pray before acting, but the second point is this, that Moses calls their sin for what it is. Uh, you know, he, there's no glossing over what they have done. There is no rationalizing it. There is no excuse. He calls the sin for what it is. Sin is serious and it must be dealt with. And Moses' reaction makes this absolutely clear. Look at verse 19. Moses' anger burned hot. Where have we heard that phrase before? Well, look back at verse 10. God speaks in verse 10. Now, therefore, let me alone that my wrath may burn hot against them. And this is the point that Moses felt the same way God did about their sin. 
Moses understood the holiness of God. He appreciated the seriousness of their sin towards God and it had to be dealt with. Now there are two um, powerful symbolic acts here by Moses that underline the seriousness of the people's sin. Look at the second half of verse 19. He threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. The tablets of stone. Now look how the tablets of stone are described in verse 16. The tablets were the work of God. The work of God. And the writing was the writing of God, the very finger of God. Engraved on the tablets. This was the most valuable foundational communication on the planet of the earth from God himself. And it now lies in pieces at the foot of the mountain. Now, this is not Moses in a fit of uncontrollable rage. This is not Moses going bananas at the people and just losing it. This uh, is a deliberate symbolic smashing of the tablets of stone. Remember Exodus 24, they swore allegiance to God's covenant. We will obey, they said. We will keep the law. And Moses' action, uh, smashing the tablets of stone, it symbolizes the utter contempt which, with which they treated the covenant of God. Now the second symbolic act, look at verse 20. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. Now if the first symbolic act shows the people's contempt to the covenant of God and to God himself, then this second symbolic act shows Moses' contempt for the idol that they had made. Is this what you exchanged the glory of God for? Something that you made with your own hands, whether it was a, a wooden structure over, overlaid with metal, with gold that, that was burned in the fire? Is this what you exchanged the glory of God for? Is this the God that you want? Moses utterly destroys the golden calf. He is showing the futility of idolatry. Uh, he grinds it to powder and he makes the people drink it. And, and he's saying to them, this is, this is what becomes of your idol. It is, it is good for nothing. In fact, he's actually saying all that it's fit for is, is for the waste. It's fit for the toilet. And that's exactly where it's going to go. He, he makes them drink it. It is the symbolism of what Moses is making the people do. Idols cannot save you. Idols cannot satisfy or sustain you. Idols cannot stand before you. And yet we all have idols in our life. Uh, we all have things that displace God from our lives. We exchange the glory of God 
for whatever the idol is in our life, and we can have legitimate things that are idols in our lives, whether, whether it be family, uh, whether it be fitness and health, whatever it is. But Moses calls their sin for what it is. So important. Now, the third point on, on leadership uh, Moses prays before he acts. He calls their sin for what it is. And the third point is this, that family relationships must not be allowed to compromise the honor of God. And this is really important. This is really practical. Moses is dealing with his own brother, Aaron, the high priest, and that can bring complications. Um, I bet Moses couldn't believe it. I, I, I bet he was really struggling to begin to understand Aaron's role in all of this. Look at verse 21. Moses said to Aaron, what did this people do to you that you have brought such a great sin upon them? This must have been difficult for Moses. And there is a real danger, you know, and, and, and I've, I've seen it over the years, that when it comes to matters of church discipline and family is involved, um, well, th there can be a real temptation to, to rationalize things, to rationalize sin and to explain, to explain it away, to excuse it. And judgment can become clouded and God's glory can be compromised. Now Moses gives Aaron an opportunity to explain. Now rem remember, Aaron was the high priest. Aaron saw God. Uh, whatever that means, Aaron saw God in, in Exodus 24. And, and Moses said to the people before he went up the mountain in Exodus 24, he said to the people, you know, if, if there's a dispute, if, if, there's, if there's a problem, then, then go to Aaron, go to Aaron or her. You know, Moses had every confidence in his brother. So the buck stopped with Aaron. And the passage makes that clear. Look at verse 25. When Moses saw that the people had broken loose, uh, when they were out of control, for Aaron had let them break loose. Now, this, this whole sorry episode required strong leadership from Moses. But when it comes to Aaron, we see the, the opposite. We see where, where compromised and weak leadership leads you. L look, at, look at Aaron's pathetic response here in, in verses 22 to 23. He, he shifts the blame. In verse 22, he blames the people. Aaron said, let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, they, that they are set on evil. He blames the circumstances. Look at verse 24. This is, this is unbelievable. So I said to them, let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me and I threw it into the fire and out came this calf. I mean, you, you've got to hand it to Aaron for actually attempting that excuse. Uh, I mean, you really expect us to believe that? You know, it's, it's like when you're a child and maybe you've been 
broken something in the house, you've smashed a window or, or whatever, playing football, and uh, your dad confronts you, and how did that happen? It just happened. It's, it's childish. And then he distances himself from their sin. I, I, I just threw what they gave me in the fire and out it came. You know, I, 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 I didn't have a big part in this. I had a minor role, not, not a major, major role. And I guess it's exactly the same thing that we do when our sin is discovered. That we blame other people or we blame our circumstances or our upbringing and we minimize our responsibility. And we need to take responsibility for our sin. And we, we need to, to know that we will be held accountable for our sin. And when you reach that point, that's the beginning of the road to recovery. Because as depressing and, and as dark as this whole episode is, this is not the end for the people of God. There is provision for forgiveness and recovery with God. And, and this brings us to the final section, verses 25 to the end. Um, that even in the midst of all this darkness and idolatry, God's mercy shines through. That even God's judgment is tempered with his mercy. And we've not got time to go through the last section in any detail, but you will see that sin leads to death. There is death in the camp. But prior to that, there is a call to return to the Lord. Verse 26, Moses stood in the gate of the camp, the place where, where justice is dispensed, where, where the business is discussed. And he said, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. There is a way back to God. That your sin uh, need not define you. It need not destroy you. That there is recovery with God. And it's that path of confession and repentance. And for those who are serious about identifying themselves with Jesus Christ and with God. And who are prepared to stand on the Lord's side and identify themselves with him. And who will dedicate themselves to serving him. Whose side are you on? Who are you standing with? What are you standing for in your life? Who is your God? What is your God? What have you exchanged God for in your life? There's so much in this chapter, and, and I know there's, there's probably been far too much ground that we've covered here, but we've barely scratched the surface. But let's learn from their example, as Paul teaches us in 1 Corinthians 10, to learn from their example and not sin 
as they did. The danger of forgetting God and where that danger, where that forgetfulness can lead so quickly. The necessity of intercession, you know, specific prayer, burdened prayer on behalf of those who have fallen into sin. And the importance of strong spiritual leadership, bringing those who have sinned back to God and responding to the call of God to come to him to know his mercy and his restoring grace. May God bless his word. Let's just close in prayer. Father God, we, we thank you for your, your living word. We thank you for the lessons that we have considered from your word tonight. We think of the danger of forgetting you and we confess before you how prone we are to forgetting you in our life. We ask for your forgiveness we pray, Father, that as we go into this week, that you would preserve us from doing exactly that. That you would be our first thought and our last thought. We ask for your protection upon everybody here. We pray, Father, for those who may be wrestling with sin. We pray, Father, that your spirit would work in their hearts and lives and pray that you would bring them to confession, repentance to you. We thank you that there is recovery with you. We thank you that you are a God who is rich in mercy. And so, our God, we just pray that your word would build your people and that your church might be for your glory. We pray for your people here and we pray for your people in the city of Aberdeen. We pray for a turning to you and we just give you thanks for the God that you are. And we ask all this for your glory and in Jesus' name.